Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology Podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. If you're a fraud fighter for an e-commerce or marketplace, I should probably issue a trigger warning for a hypothetical I'm about to propose. If you work for a solution provider in fraud and payments or any other area of fraud prevention, such as banking or fintech, this specific example may not be as familiar to you, but I know there are going to be some similar examples that you can definitely relate to, especially in my interview conversation in a little bit. So here's the hypothetical situation. You learn from your boss or through a company communication that the business has decided to enter a new geography online or add a new payment methods in a current geography online. In the US, that would be like, we're going to add PayPal, we're going to add Apple Pay, we're going to add a new BNPL, etc. And usually you're told you can have that ready to go in three to four weeks, right? Like a lot of times you're like one of the last people told because they're, they're thinking about strategy and they're thinking about going and there's payments and fraud. What is there to figure out about a new area or a new payment method? The business almost always assumes that it's just a button or a checkbox that's needed to make everything work smoothly. You can use all the same vendors. You There's nothing really new or different. You just take care of it. But with the example of launching a site in a new geography to accept the payments that the locals want to use to be able to get the money out of the country and to retain as much sales as possible without too much payment fraud or abuse or even high fees, we know it can and does often take much longer. I'm not going to read an exhaustive list, but just some of the examples is that you might have to research the popular payment methods in that area. How do they work? Which consumers are they most popular with? What do you need to do on your end? What are the risks? Like, what are the disputes process? What's the reversals process? How quickly to settlement. How does all of that work? Which vendors offer payment acceptance with each payment option? What are the pros and cons of each vendor? Often they're not the same. Like one could be more expensive, but another one could cause more issues or more declines. Then you have to learn the implementation requirements and the timeline. You also have to find vendors for fraud prevention if they're not specific to that payment method or you need to at least have conversations with your current vendors to know that they've done this before. Sometimes you have to talk to your peers to know, hey, do you guys use this vendor for this market? How does it work? Is there a better one that we should use? Is there a different setup we should use? Maybe we prevent fraud in-house for other geographies, but over here, it's better to have someone else with domain expertise that really knows that country and their regular shopping methods, because oftentimes in a new geography, the shopping methods of the company that you, or the countries that you're used to being in and that you have been in, are going to be very different than the new area that you're going to. And oftentimes your business sees nothing but upside and it's your job to think about what are the risks? What are the expenses and what are the risks from a fraud perspective, from a first party fraud perspective, just all of those pieces. Then you have to go through like the lengthy onboarding process for vendors. If you have a new vendor with security and legal and finance, et cetera, and all of the other things about a new payment or fraud provider, if that's what you had to do. And even if not, 
there's still a lot of considerations with your current provider. How are you going to handle chargebacks? How are, how did they alert you? What are all the other nuances, right? Like how do they handle disputes? Is it different? So today, that's really what my guests are going to talk about. And I am really excited to have them on. You'll probably hear me gush about them later, even when I talk to them, because we've been talking about having this conversation and this interview for, I don't even know, a few months, but they both are incredibly busy. I am as well. And we just recently got this taken care of and it was so much fun. I am really hopeful to get to talk with both of them individually soon too. Holly Sandberg and Tin Chun both currently work for Ticketmaster. Holly leads the fraud prevention strategy, operations, and tactical, and oversees all of the team that report up through Ticketmaster in the fraud prevention area internationally. She's the senior director of global fraud prevention for Ticketmaster. Tin Chung leads the strategy, product management, and regulatory aspects of online payment acceptance for Ticketmaster as the senior director of global payments. However, today they're really drawing on a lot of their professional experiences, both from this role and others. So they're not necessarily talking about their experience just at their current employer, but everything they've learned in their decades of experience both in fraud prevention and in payments. And as you're about to hear, they are a dynamic duo who complement each other's strengths and experiences really well, especially in their day-to-day work environment. But additionally, they're both seasoned experts in their respective industries. Prior to Ticketmaster, Holly spent over 13 years at Paciolan, which is also a leader, but not as well-known, in the primary ticket space. So they're behind the scenes of almost all online and card not present transactions for U.S. colleges and universities, like their alumni associations, and all NCAA sports and events and other events that are hosted at NCAA arenas in the U.S. Holly is not only an expert in the online fraud prevention space, but she's a career professional in the primary and secondary ticketing space, and she's a wealth of knowledge in both industries. Actually, just last week, she was asked to present at the ticketing industry's leading conference, specifically about the nuances of preventing fraud and chargebacks within event ticketing. This is a conference where CEOs of all kinds of places in every other area of event ticketing meets, but Holly has consistently been asked to be a speaker at this event for several years in a row, along with a good friend of ours in common. And Tin has a unique background in online payment acceptance. While he first began his technology-focused career on the sales engineering side of the vendor and startup side in companies such as PayPal and Braintree within the European market, and he also was heading up solutions and product for companies like ShieldPay and AirWallets in the UK. Tin will be joining me again soon for an episode of Fraudology to talk so much more about his experiences and lessons learned. Moving from the vendor to the merchant space within payments, we had such a fascinating conversation about this pre-recording and offline. I was like, you need to come back. I think it'll be really insightful to everyone on both sides of that fence. But also about the importance of in-house payments expertise for enterprise online companies. It often blows me away that payment acceptance is the lifeblood of all online companies. However, so many large brands in e-commerce still haven't created a single position or hired an expert to lead their payments acceptance strategy. 
or their product management within payments or the compliance aspects of accepting payments online. And I'm really excited for that conversation soon too. And as far as today's conversation, whether your company has a payments expert on staff or a full payments department, several of the tasks that I mentioned earlier should optimally be done in tandem with that person, the fraud department and the payments person. It's really optimal for them to be working together. And you're going to hear how well Holly and Tin have done that over the last little over a year. Having a great working relationship and trust that each domain expert knows or will learn what they need to know is critical. And it can also be fun to create new strategies and paths and processes together. If you don't have a payments expert within your organization, you may not know what you're missing out on and how helpful a great one can be. And if you work for a solution provider or for a bank or anyone else that you know, you're like, this doesn't totally apply to me, there is still so much to learn in this conversation, especially when it comes to developing and executing new strategies for your business, working collaboratively internally, and the takeaways that they both provide are worth their weight in gold. You'll soon see why I've really wanted to have them both come on Fraudology for quite some time and why they really are two of my favorite people. So now here is my enlightening and informative conversation with Tin Chung and Holly Sandberg. Well, today I am so grateful to have two really amazing people both in fraud and payments. Oftentimes on the podcast, I talk a lot about how I feel like the foundation of my career in the payment space has really helped me a lot in understanding a lot of the details of fraud. But there are also a lot of people who are so much more focused on payments in their day-to-day life and that that's their full-time job. And I think that those people make fraud fighters better. And so on today's podcast, I am excited to welcome two people that I have been looking forward to speaking with for a while on this topic of fraud and payments working together and really being cohesive. And that is Tin Chung and Holly Sandberg, both from Ticketmaster. So thanks to both of you for joining me today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So just before we get diving into this exciting, nerdy conversation about strategy, I just want to say it on behalf of both of you, as a lot of our Fraudology listeners already know, that you on this podcast are speaking on behalf of yourself and your experience and not necessarily or at all speaking on behalf of the company and organization that you work for. So get that disclaimer out of the way. You both have experience both at Ticketmaster and prior to Ticketmaster that make you the experts that you are. And that's really what we wanted to draw from and talk about today. That's good. So with that, and we will be having individual conversations on another podcast. So we'll get to know a lot more about Tin and his background and get to hear from Holly again, just on her own too. But for the sake of this conversation, I'd really like to start Holly with you to ask you, I know that Previously, you didn't have a payments person on a really dedicated payments person or, or department at your companies. How has that been different? And was that something that you were looking forward to or that you knew that you were missing when you were there? Or how has that been different now working with Tin for the last year? 
Yeah, I think I had bits and pieces of it, but I did not have the luxury or the great experience or, or the luck. There's a couple of different ways I can refer to it of, of having all of that wisdom and experience rolled into one person. It may have been peers within the space who had payments knowledge. It may have been reps from the different vendors that we worked with. Sometimes payment questions would, would come to me and I certainly learned a lot through that. And sometimes like even in fraud, we don't know everything and you need to go find the answer and going and finding the answers when they're needed. It's how you get better and how you get smarter. But I think it's always a tremendous advantage when you've got someone with a wealth of subject matter expertise that you can work with closely um, on top of the fact that Tin is just a great guy who I truly enjoy working with and have a ton of fun with. So when you've got, that's a huge benefit as well. Like not only when you've got genius available on call, so to speak, that you can tap into that brain trust, but also just when it's somebody who's a great person and when you have a great working dynamic with them. That has has been top three best things for me about about the past year at Ticketmaster. And and like I said, didn't live all in one place in, in some of my previous positions. I think I learned a lot both from the blessing of having it, but also from what the reality of the day-to-day is from not having it too, that, that really makes me appreciate and want to evangelize, so to speak, within the industry for all of the benefits that can come from it. Yeah, it's amazing how when you don't have something and then you do, you're like, oh, wow, this hundred times better. And Tim, from your perspective, how does payments work with the fraud department? I mean, we'll jump out a little bit more to speak specific on strategies and all of that in a minute. But just as a baseline, how do you see payments and fraud working together and why are they important to be a cohesive team? Slight big theory moment to get rid of the blush as a print on my face. Way too complimentary, but thank you, Holly. I think, so coming from a payments background, right? So mostly on the vendor side, now on the merchant side, fraud to me through a lot of that journey has, has been analogous payments, but not necessarily in a good way. Like people speak of it in the same breath and that doesn't give it justice or indeed give me opportunity to really understand the sheer kind of domain experience, not just about fraud, but about the industry and how closely they tie together. People, I was in payments, we, we had certain expertise within industries like airlines and retail and things like that. And we call upon knowledge of decline reasons and other kind of behaviors that feed into why payments succeed or fail. But those are relatively kind of trivial when what I've learned is when it comes to the actual big topic of fraud is, you know, it's not about a tool and or technology and kind of twiddling some dials and putting some rules. There's a lot, there's a lot of factors, behaviors that go way beyond that. That lies in the people. And so when it comes to my journey here at Ticketmaster, having Holly on board has really opened my eyes to that and enabled me to really think really where payments, I guess, begins and ends and then where it facilitates. Yeah, I think I've learned a lot. It's a good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that obviously working hand in hand with someone that you just admire and respect and can learn from is the icing on the cake. But additionally, having those separate domain expertises to because to both of your points, they are often put hand in hand in the same sentence, but nobody really understands just the breadth of domain expertise that there is available. And you don't know what you don't know. And so too often I see online companies not understanding why they would need a payment person or a payments team. And honestly, it's usually just because the only reason why the fraud team was justified was because of loss of transactions and loss of money and loss of chargebacks and not thinking about the end-to-end customer experience and all of those other pieces. So I think I've just been so excited to have this conversation. So we'll dive in a little bit. Talking about strategy, Tin, I think I'll start with you on this. A lot of times, I think anyone who's been on the merchant side ever who's listening to this episode We'll be very familiar with some directive coming on from on high down 
to the people that need to carry out the tactical piece, whether it is adding a new payment method or going to a new country or geography or all these other pieces that really need to involve you. First, you might think, well, that's just a payments thing. Oh, I'll just call my payment provider. We'll do that. There's so much complexity on that, on who you pick, how you pick, how you do all those things. And we can dive into more of those complexities, payment specific on when you and I talk specifically, but later, but on this one, you from your experience, when those directives come on high, what are some of the mistakes that are made? Just setting a timeline and putting what needs to be done. Yes, that's a great question. I'll reflect on this both from both sides of the table. I maybe wouldn't use the term mistakes, but I think on opportunities for improvement. Yes. I think from my, again, reflection from experience on both sides of the table, I think having said it's not a mistake, the error is normally made from my view is at the right off from the very outset, there's a focus on the how and the what. So, you know, whether it's talking about APIs and documentation and timelines, whereas for me, it's all about the whys and the who's, right? The whys being why do we think we do this? Why can't what already exists serve the purpose? Why do we think, or why do you think? you can actually even achieve this. So lots of kind of soul searching and stock taking of things first. And then a who's, obviously there's things we already mentioned and gushed over, which is around a co- cohesion between parties working together, but also identifying the right stakeholders and data providers to feed in to that exploration, to really fill that picture of why you want to do this in the first place. And then only from there, in my view, can you actually come up with a strategy of then execution, which then leads on to, and that's taking consideration both the immediate problem solving, then also catering for the longer tail future proofing or certain things. That's such a good point. And I think that uh, as somebody who knows payments, but has focused primarily on fraud, I often think that the problem is looking at the how and the what and not the why for a lot of things, not just when we're talking about strategy, but you're absolutely right as far as, you know, hey, let's take a step back. Why are we doing this? What, you know, why? And then maybe even more understanding what are all the little or pieces? What are all the details that we need to know? Because it's easy to assume that going to a new country or accepting a new payment method is to be simple, right? We see other companies do it all the time and it's simple and easy. And there are definitely payment providers and PSPs that would be, are probably telling me right now, uh, and even though this is a one-way conversation, they're probably yelling at their phone uh, that it is easy with their solution, but there's still so many complexities internally within the merchant organization, even if a PSP or a provider makes things easy externally. But Holly, I'm going to ask you the same question as well, as far as starting on that strategy. What, you know, what do you see as you know some considerations that need to be made, as well as some just some things that you've seen over your long career, as far as really appreciate that Tim corrected me. They're not mistakes. They're obviously opportunities to improve and lessons because you know what to do next time or what not to do next time. What are some things that you would recommend for people who are at that starting point where they're told, hey, we need to go here or we need to add this business model. We need to, we're going to do this or that. What are some things that need to be thought of and you know, what are some things that can be learned? Yeah, a couple of things that I was thinking while you guys were both talking that I jotted down a couple of notes in one. I don't know if that was Carice, just you or a combination of both of you, I was struck by how many times the word new was uttered just in the past few minutes. And I think on the front side, we say this often that the bad actors love the new stuff because they assume, speaking of assumptions and strategy, and historically, I had to say, in terms of opportunities, they tend to be right that the new thing is the least protected thing. So the shy, they love to target the shiny new thing, be it the new product, the new payment method, the new channel, the nerd, whatever it may be. And that's 
the fun of the strategy side for me about fraud is we obviously need to be tactical in the moment. This is what's attacking us right now. We've got to stem that. We've got to stop it. But some of the real fun is thinking is to me the imaginary exercise of how would I, how would I attack our systems? How would I identify and if I'm going to put on my pretend to be a bad guy hat? How would I go about it? And where are the vulnerabilities? I think in terms of Speaking about things that are new also, and I loved that Tin talked about why, those are just basically my two things that I wrote down on the piece of paper, underlined several times, were new and why. Advocating for an understanding of what fraud's function is within the organization. And I think there's a lot of opportunity here in, in aligning with payments, right? Like fraud fills a protective role and we want to be facilitators of the positive, of generating more revenue, of allowing a friction-free experience for good users and good customers. How do we do that with what's happening today? But how do we also think about the possibilities of how we do that when we're hit with some completely new vector of attack that we haven't seen before? And that can be some really fun stuff to to both prepare for and as just sort of a thought exercise that I, I love having those conversations with people. And it, it aligns closely, I think, to what Tin was talking about with the why, right? And I know you say this very frequently, Chris, like Frog's job is not to be the friction brigade. It's not to show up and say, we're here to that that cool new thing that you just invented. Hey, product, you're like, here, we're here to rain on your parade and tell you all the things that can go wrong with that. What we hope to do is say, include us in those conversations so that we can tell you all the ways that we're going to help more things go right with that. And that's where I think that the what I really love about the strategy piece of it and hoping that people have more of those conversations. And, you know, again, fraud in the grand scheme of things is going to have to be about protecting in the here and now today. But I think it makes you a sharper fraud fighter to make sure that you're covering both sides of that equation and really trying to future proof. So I missed out one W that normally gets dwelled on too much, therefore become a tail wagging a dog, but it's when. So timelines, what it is, how it is normally kind of the driving forces behind strategies. And that often leads to the notion of MVPs, which is fine. I get it. But then as time gets tighter, the MVP spoke gets slimmer. And therefore that then doesn't, it's not very conducive to having a solution and a solid kind of foundation to something that we can build upon and improve over time. But then back to another kind of the, the other W, so the who I'm kind of chiming in on what Holly's just saying there, is the importance of investing in, in, in decent payments and for all people, which is, look, I'm not trying to paint a picture that we all have opportunities to build things from the ground up and in a perfect kind of way. But it's, if you have the right people there who know their domain, who work well, together, then you're able to identify, whittle down, I guess, the unknown unknowns and go into at least, you know what you know, and you know what you don't know. And what I mean by that is, look, if we're given a bunch of constraints within the whys, we've done our homework, we figure out, okay, why to do this, why it's important, and then creep into the whens, that then allows us to, to use our expertise and come up with the right solutions for the right circumstance. And it may not be perfect or ideal, but at least it's been well thought of and thought of within those specific domains that we made the most out of, out of it. Because again, going back to, I guess, things I've observed in past lives is when things get bundled together, lines get blurred between what is payments, what is fraud, what is abuse indeed. That's when things become unwieldy very fast. Not very, very fast, actually over time. Because then when you try to abstract away or when you try to upgrade, when you're trying to add a new pay method or launch a new country or planet, then you get stuck within those silos, that, you know, those holes that you kind of dig for yourself. And therefore it's difficult then to actually create a strategy and then you're stuck with tactical solves forever and ever. I think that you both touched on so many interesting things and not surprisingly, of course. I think that as a practical example or thought exercise, one thing that we talked about before recording was maybe having a kind of an example and walking through because 
especially for people in fraud, but I, mean, I know there will be people in payments listening too, but like we're very literal people. So sometimes we need that example. What do you, okay, these are all great thoughts and things and abstract, but what do you mean by how would you work together and what? One example we thought of was if you were told by leadership or the business made a decision to accept payments on the planet Pluto. And we can use that almost as a stand-in for an, for another country or geographic reason, region, right? Where we don't, and we'll just assume we don't know what the payment method, what the currency is, what the payment methods are, what, you know, anything is at first. What kind of are those steps that you go through? One, two, three, four, in, in that kind of way, maybe not exactly in the order, both from a payments and a fraud perspective. Okay. So yeah. That kind of ties to something that I had in my notes in thinking when we talked about this ahead of time and actually didn't write it down in relation to this, but it definitely applies to your question, which is obviously step one, lay out what are, what is the normal sort of order of operations that we would need to, to that, that checkbox list of a to-do list, whatever you want to call it. Right. So that would be to me. And as it relates to what I wrote down, list out your assumptions, but then immediately following that, my, my next line, even in my notes is list out your assumptions and then question all of your assumptions, right? So know what they are and then immediately don't assume that they're, that payments in Philadelphia is going to be the same thing as payments on Pluto or that fraud is going to be the same thing. There are universal motivators everywhere, as we well know on the fraud side, and I'm sure it's the same on the payment side, but there, there are specificities that are related to what you're selling, where you're selling it, in the case of fraud, where in the flow does fraud sit? It could be multiple places. And what does that all look like? So I think you have to start with what you know about going down a new path. And that's hard fought knowledge, right? That where we all went through a lot to get it and we're happy to have it and we lean on it a lot, but um, not to necessarily assume that knowledge is always foolproof, right? You should always be looking to say, how can I be wrong on this? How can I do this differently? You take the lessons of the past, but you also think through variables that that maybe you haven't seen before. Yeah, that would be my answer on that. Yeah. And just to chime in there, I've said this multiple times, but it's just so true. I mean, I think that there has to be a level of humility and a want for eternal learning whenever you're in fraud and payments for either side, because nothing's going to be the same, right? Fraud wasn't the same as it isn't the same now as it was 10 years ago. Payment is not the same now as it was five years ago in so many ways. And to your point, Holly, payments where you are is really going to be different than payments anywhere else. I go through the list of so many different types of payment options. And I think a lot of people, especially one trap we get into in the U.S. is just assuming that everyone around the world or even on other planets use credit cards, right? But that's not always the case. So I think, yeah, understanding, looking at what you assume, but then also seeking those out, right? From people who have been there before or learning. And unfortunately, in payments and fraud, there's, it's not like you can just go look up a book. There are some good books out there now, but there's a lot of things where a lot of it's domain expertise in everyone's head. So it's going and having conversations and learning. And I think that one of the most dangerous things anyone in payments or fraud can do is just assume or have an ego and or not want to be humble and say, hey, I don't know that it's okay to say you don't know. In fact, I would actually reward that more than someone trying to say that they know. So I think that's such a good point, Holly, to think of what you're assuming and then question all of them. And that's why I think that having the dynamic that you both have and that other companies, other fraud and payment teams and other large e-commerce organizations that I know have too is the desire to learn from each other and the desire to say, hey, I have this piece and you have this piece. What does that picture look like together? 
Yeah. And going back to my kind of uh, key principles of once you've done the homework and start taking, yeah, it's, again, it's back to expertise and wisdom, right? It's like we all in our own domains know what the kind of core building blocks and what's behind the payments, what's behind a best case like fraud kind of end-to-end experience. But it's also having that humidity, but also the, yeah, the expertise to the wisdom to know, okay, as a baseline set of assumptions, but also we know enough that we go to an entirely unknown place or even a place that we do think we know, things aren't always following those same paradigms and then the same way that things work in, in that way. And that goes back to a point around why we can't jump to the what and the hows, because very quickly you may go, oh, okay, go on Pluto, can processor that we currently have integrated work for them? And there's danger then of going, yeah, it's on their website or the, per- the rep said, yes, therefore it's tick. There's still a due diligence, the, the need for us to do our own kind of First of all, what we feel we need to offer and cover ourselves with in those markets, but also the context of where we run our own business. And that goes back to the point around, we can't always find one person or the same person to help us with the questions that we may have, because they may have pockets of information that are relevant, but one may be a vendor and therefore knows their product, but maybe hasn't seen it ever live or have run reconciliation and settlement mm. on it or fraud on it, real world scenarios or universe scenarios. Or you have someone who is on the merchant side, but actually they run their business in a entirely different way. Maybe it's why across borders, centrally, it's not domestic or vice versa. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting challenges in there. I say it's interesting. I goes back to your point around the yearning for learning and just mm-hmm. continuous improving ourselves and big world out there. There's a lot to, to learn. Yearning for learning. Ooh, that's a really cheesy statement, but I like it. Because <laughs> I'm a bumper sticker. Horny. I knew a bumper sticker. I once heard someone say that they their goal in life was to be a learn-it-all instead of a know-it-all. And that was something that really stuck with me. It was just like a random conversation with a guy in a coffee shop. And I still am like, I love that. I think that just goes inherently to the majority of people in payments and fraud. I think that's why a lot of them have also become my close friends is because we all have that in common, whether it's a lot of times it's specific to our worlds. We could talk about this till two or three in the morning. And Lord knows Holly and I have done that more than one occasion, especially at conferences, but or just in general in life. Fraudology is now brought to you by Sardine. So what is Sardine? I mean, other than a small oily fish in the herring family, Sardine is a fraud tech platform that was ultimately built by fraud fighters for fellow fraud fighters with the features that they wanted in a fraud provider when they worked for companies within financial services, e-commerce, digital banking, and consumer lending. They're a team who geeks out on the same minute data that indicate a fraud pattern or anomaly as we do, and they run investigations every day. Sardine's product is even measured with the same KPIs as you probably are. More specifically, Sardine has combined more than 30 data providers into one tool for you. Benchmarked for performance into a single dashboard and API that can be used for KYC, AML, and payment fraud detection. But crucially, they also allow Sardine customers to use their own data, to access their own data, as well as the results from all data providers they work with and the features Sardine has created as they, their customers, need to use them. There's no more mysterious black box that calculates the risk of new accounts, logins, or transactions and magically turns them into a score that was most likely based on attributes that look risky to other people business models. For some clients, they use Sardines as their full stack for all account onboarding, transaction monitoring, case management, etc. Others use them as a sophisticated data provider. Basically, Sardine fits to you rather than vice versa. So 
If you want to see for yourself that the product you've always wanted finally exists, you can book a demo at www.sardine.ai or by clicking the link in the show notes for today's episode. But going back to what you said too, Tin, you're absolutely right. Knowing what you do know and kind of framing everything else that you learn in that is so important, whether you're on the vendor side, building a product or you're a merchant side and trying to solve a problem or product as well. And knowing not just like the way that you have your company structured and the the way that you your company chooses to process payments in another country or another planet. Do you traditionally do it cross border? Do you traditionally domicile first? Do you use a third party for that? Those type of things, but also knowing what's our business model? Are we subscription? Are we standalone? Because that's going to make differences. What's the what's the average dollar value of our order? Because that will impact fraud, but also payments for many reasons on pricing and things like that. But also just the way the business runs, right? The decisions that the business has made, the decisions that, you know, the or the technology, right? The limitations or the opposite of that, of the technology that you have, right? Wow, this one solution or this one option might be really cool, but there's no way we can get that into our framework or whatever that is. So knowing your business is such a core point. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. well, the opposite. Or indeed, it's again, being the passionate geeks that we are, are there opportunities within this why and this construct and what we're trying to achieve for us to look at it from a fresh perspective and therefore find ways to do things differently in a better way and use it as some kind of blueprint or foundation for other things or the next iteration, the next kind of growth area. And that won't come from a cost center bundled approach to payments of fraud, right? That one thing I can't say now, and I try not to be assertive with kind of statements, if you're not investing in people who are passionate about the subject areas, you will get a mediocre product, right? Quite frankly. Wow. I, I mean, maybe it's because I'm a passionate person, but I, that very much is with me and I can say just from my own perspective of knowing and working with so many people in both payments and fraud and e-commerce, that couldn't be more true because have to be passionate about it. This is not just a nine to five job, but sometimes you're going to be working till two in the morning on an issue or other things like that. I mean, I was talking to a leader of a large company yesterday who said, this is technically my day for PTO, but you know how, you know how fraud people take PTO. And I was like, yep, I do. With one foot, it just means you work less than eight hours, not like more than 10. But and that's because we're passionate, right? It's because it's more than just a job, whether for either side of the fence, there's so much opportunity on both sides. Moving it along as you're just going with our thought exercise of adding payments in Pluto, say that you've selected a have a fairly good idea of who you want to work or what, how you want to have that framework, right? And you're starting to go down the between selecting solution providers and all of that. How do you, how do you guys see payments and fraud working together there? So I think with learning also comes a duty to educate. And I think it doesn't Mm. matter how far down the road you might be with vendor selection or limitations that give you a limited set of vendors and technology implementations. There's always a need to reflect and educate others. And I guess what I'm trying to get to here is, you know, lines are currently not always kind of get blurred within the kind of payments and fraud world. A very specific example of 3D Secure. Mm. Is it a fraud protection? Arguably, it's revenue protection. The way mm. it works, the nature of it 
could be a kind of an extra friction point to prevent fraud, but it's not a strategic tool in fraud. And so therefore, what I'm faced with is, I know, as payments, I'll probably look to open that piece and be that, like I said, the dumb service that just facilitates the actual kind of money, money in flow. And then the more sophisticated, smarter people on the fraud side will take that and use it as an extra data to feed into where the real kind of action and sophistication happens. And Holly and I, in past lives, there's been a need to educate companies who have been perhaps sold certain things as the be all and end all of fraud. You don't need, you don't need a fraud tool because you have 3D secure. And it's like, no, that's not true. And it's quite frankly, you shouldn't speak to those vendors anymore. And so when it comes to, I guess, in a general organization where roadmaps are tight, it's being able to, to come up with narratives and education points to make the case for multiple tools, multiple maybe stages and implementations in order to come up with the most robust solution for organization. I think just to, to add on to that in our imaginary journey here on our imaginary planet, and I'll give some props to Tenier again and to the broader team, the Ticketmaster, right? there's an intentionality there in thinking about the fan journey or the customer journey, whatever you want to call it for your listeners who maybe aren't in the ticketing space. Like fraud should be invisible from like in so there's a lot of talk about friction. There's a lot of people would certainly talk about this a lot. Tim just brought up 3D in 3D 1.0 and what that horrific user experience was like. So I love that that Tim thinks a lot and that I think the leaders in who are leading the way in payments think a lot about it is a part of the journey. It's not like you, you take the journey and then we get your money, right? Like the payment is a part of the journey. And maybe if fraud is invisible, but on the fraud side, I think we love having those conversations with payments. I use very frequently as an example, like I have checking accounts with two different banks. For some reason, the user journey, the way options are presented to me, the order they're presented in from UX, the all of these sort of intangibles that you don't think about in the moment, right? When one of those two banks, and I won't name names, two factors me, it irks me. And it should, nobody in front should ever get irked by it because we preach this all the time, right? We should open MFA with open arms. But for some reason, when one bank does it to me, it really gets on my nerves. And when the other one does it, I'm like, oh, I feel like that's a warm hug and they're looking out for me. And that's about that user experience that I feel like is talked about much more holistically now than it used to be. And I think people like Tim in advocating for payments and for being strategic about payments have really done a lot toward that end. I, we may not want the fraud piece of it to be visible, but we can have a great conversation about, oh, you're doing that at this point in the purchase floor and this is how you're serving this up to the user. Okay, cool. I got you. Here's how I'm protecting that in the background. Yeah. And just to clarify the reason why I think that's such a good example. And I think all of us can think of those types of things too. The reason why you said that one of the ways that the banks challenge you for MFA or multi-factor authentication irks you and the other one, you're like, oh, this feels amazing. It's not because you have a good opinion of one bank and a bad opinion of another. It's because of the user experience of them challenging MFA, right? And because of that experience, that's what gives you the good opinion or the bad opinion about the bank. Is Was I hearing that right? Just to clarify. Yep. Right. And it's a great, to me, it's a great example of like, it's the same function, right? They're both doing the right. exact same thing, just one of them in in small, intricate ways is doing, quote, better or a way in a way at least that appeals to me more and that makes the overall experience a better one from a UX perspective. I would love to have the time to really psychoanalyze myself and figure out why one irks me more than the other, but I've noticed it. And it's something that's fascinating to me and think that is at the heart of strategy, right? You want to make these experiences as good as you can make them for the part that you play in the experience. And you want it to be 
seamless, right? With If I didn't have the one experience annoying me, I probably w- also wouldn't realize how much the other experience doesn't annoy me. <laughs> so I would just wouldn't think of it. It wouldn't bug me, you know? Well, and because just playing that just further a little bit, because I think this is such a good point. If we start thinking about things as a consumer, we can think about the impact of customer journey so much more when we're in having these conversations about strategy, whether it's a new payment method or new geography or new business model or new whatever. It's my assumption would be that if you are going to be logging into one of your banks from a new location or something that you know, because, you know, you're in fraud and this is how we think, because, you know, okay, I'm probably doing something that's going to trigger MFA, whether you're in a new location because you travel often or you got a new phone or whatever that is. My guess would be if there isn't another reason, you know, if you could choose between either bank because they both have money and you transfer from either one or whatever those situations are. My assumption would be you're going to choose to bank to log in and utilize and transact with the website that has the better customer experience. If you're going to do MFA, at least it's going to be less clunky and better process. I think it's about making it, yeah, all those points. So it's making it holistic, intentional, and well thought out. Yeah. And I think that kind of, it's the delighting experience so that when I go through it, even if it's friction, it's, oh, get it. I know, I know why they're doing that rather than just, so I'm sort of a parrot here, but back to his principles around if you focus first on the what and the hows, you'll be going, oh, we do 3D secure in this area for this permutation, therefore we must have it for here. And that might not necessarily be the case. So therefore, if you have a cookie cutter approach to everything, it doesn't make sense, then that's just going to annoy people, right? I think that's when it comes to payments and for specifically using again 3D secure as an example, but it may also apply to the stuff in the background as well, where maybe not to the consumer, but to the organization. It's like if you put everything, for example, everything 50% has to go through manual review, for example, because that's just how it's been before or anything scoring over whatever amount and no one's reviewed the context or any kind of further thought behind it, it's just going to keep on exacerbating the problems that have always existed. So therefore going back to the principles, but also the who's and having the right people in place to, to drive those strategies. And just to add on one thing to that, that earlier question about our hypothetical scenario, I do think that payments and fraud rate, it should be a health check on the other. If I'm reporting numbers that just say the fraud tools stopped all of these transactions, payments is going to be the source of truth in some ways. I'm like, oh, yeah, but how many of those weren't actually fraud? And and it's, that's really important, right? That you are not just, we talk so much about things being data rich and data driven. It's not just having the data, but having the right data to tell the story. Like I, I expect him to keep me honest. If I do something tomorrow and he sees acceptance rates plummet, I want to hear from him about it, right? Because it's important to, um, we talk about this, I think a lot in fraud when you say somebody new in e-commerce who's just come along and they don't have anything for fraud. Everybody wants to be a bad vendor. Though you want to be that vendor who comes in and takes them from no fraud Hmm. solution whatsoever to any fraud solution because you're automatically going to look like a hero, right? So dropping it from, holy crap, please make it stop to something reasonable, like the lift between dropping it from something reasonable to something really optimized. It's a smaller number. It's a smaller percentage, but it's a much heavier ask. And it's something Mm -hmm. that requires a lot of thought and a lot of expertise and a lot of a lot of intentionality than just coming in guns blazing to get the low hanging fruit. It's really like the art of it is in the once you've got it down to reasonable, how do you get it to awesome? Oh my gosh, I could deep dive into that for forever because I think honestly that the beauty and the art, to your point, of both payments and fraud is in the nuance. It's in that gray area because yeah, sure, the 
using your experience from, let's say, good to great, using that very popular book. Yeah, some companies can stop at great, but what are you losing between great and optimized? Actually, you're probably losing not as many one-to-one sales, but that's where the customer experience lies. That's where the, oh, I'm going to go use this website over that website or this bank over that bank because it's going to be faster or it's going to be easier or I know how it works or they're not going to, whatever those fill in that piece there. But that's what makes you stand out for those continual, for that lifetime value to go up for those loyal fans or loyal owners. It's also where you're able to really fine tune. There's so much opportunity in that gray area and that space and the nuance space from whether we're talking about reducing interchange expenses or optimizing decline codes or whether we're talking about reducing false positives or anything like that. That's where a company goes from good to awesome is when they're really fine tuning those. And I can say from my own experience of getting to work with so many really cool companies, the biggest, I've been saying this for years, I've been saying it for over 10 years now, the biggest companies in the world, name them here, right? And Ticketmaster is obviously one of them. If we look at like the top 10 in e-commerce internationally, but there's a lot of them. We look at the Amazons, the Expedias, the Netflixes of the world. They all balance things out with a payments team early on in their e-commerce journey. They had a fraud team, but they also had a payments team and they were very strategic and they weren't just about getting it from holy crap to eh, we're okay with it. They they not rarely would say, oh, that's an acceptable level of loss. We're good there. And on the payment side, same thing. They have teams of people that are focused on payments and fraud both separately and together. And that I've seen those teams be a very critical reason why those companies went from, sure, they've always been big, but they weren't the size they are now 10 years ago. And I've watched other companies that were probably bigger 10 years ago that didn't get to go over that edge to optimize and lost so much money in different areas and didn't even realize they were losing it and didn't even realize there were opportunities for optimization because they weren't having those strategy conversations. They weren't saying, hey, how do we get better? Okay, yeah, sure, these things work, but how do we improve it even more? How do we go from this is an okay customer experience to wow, I want to do that. So that's, I'm so glad you guys talked about both all of those things. And then just quickly, so all of that, and then also parity again, all the stuff I've said already, which is going back it's to the Because everything you've said is important, Tim, <laughs> let's be clear. <laughs> yeah, pretty much what Holly said in terms of sharing data, keep each other honest. Let's say we want to launch, we're powered by when, so therefore a bit of a love tail wagging the dog, and we have to get something spun up in, in Pluto sooner rather than later. And it's, the thought is, why don't we just launch with payments without fraud? And then that's where the importance of learning and educating, learning from the rest of the business, as well as your kind of your partners in crime, but also educating comes into play. Because maybe even though Pluto, they probably sell their events five years in advance, because it takes people that long to get there. If we show that we've sold out in one day, as it turns out, from the fraud checks afterwards that actually half of them, if not more, have actually were fraudulent. It's not a good, it's not a good story to tell. So there's a lot of that kind of sharing and bouncing around, which is why it's important to have that domain expertise. So again, repeating the same point. Yeah, but I'm glad that you are because I, I see this too, where I think that it's ironic sometimes that, well, and I guess that a lot of times it's the companies that don't really have someone with fraud domain expertise. So maybe that's why it's less ironic. But, you know, the companies just feel like they can just trust their vendor and trust the advice their vendor gives and just do that. And sometimes that's true. But other times, is your vendor going to tell you that you're paying twice as much, you know, for that? at that rate as a competitor? Or is that vendor going to tell you, hey, if we did it this way, or if you supplemented part of what you get from us over here, it would be better for your company. You won't know that unless you have internal domain expertise. 
both in payments and fraud. And I have seen, I work with several companies right now that are smaller, that haven't, that they don't have the band and it's fine. It makes sense why they wouldn't have a budget to hire a fraud or payments person. That's not exactly the first 20 roles that you fill in an e-commerce company, but it certainly makes a huge difference because it's sometimes fraud and payments both are like dusting, right? You don't really notice them unless they're not there. And then there's like a big problem, but there's also, it's also about what are the other things we can do for the air quality so that we don't have as much dust. I am really probably overplaying this analogy that just popped in my head. There's probably 10 other good ones, but I think that all of this that you guys have shared is so good. And I'm really excited to get to deep dive into this with both of you. Tana, especially, I'm really excited about that. There's so many things that the payment geek in me wants to go down the road. So I will do that. And I think it'll be very fascinating and helpful for people that listen to Phraology. I've been wanting to have someone in payments for a while talk about that. So I'm very excited about that. That will be soon. But before we wrap up, I uh, would love to just ask you both, what are your final thoughts? What are for people listening to this episode? What do you hope that they remember or what do you hope that they learn that maybe you haven't said before? And Holly, I'll have you go first. Yeah, I think that it's, if you do not find yourself as as lucky as I have been to to just land in the same place as somebody that that you're able to geek out with on this stuff and to have a great working relationship with and who has just a real depth of knowledge, right? Go find it. That doesn't just mean that you're like, oh, that's those aren't the cards that I was dealt. Seek that out absolutely because it will it will make you better. I feel like the exposure that I've had to people who are really experts on the payment side of things makes me a better fraud fighter. And I would hope vice versa, right? That what I'm able to bring to the table and and my experience and talking to people on the payment side. And we talked before, you know, before we started recording to you about a conversation that I had at a conference years ago with somebody who used to be at ETA where they were just turning the chairs upside down on tables at the end of the night. And they were like, all right, ladies, you can keep talking, but you've got to go. You've got to go. You've got to get out of here. So have more of those conversations. You definitely lucky if you find that it's it's nearby and you don't have to go hunting for it but if you do have to go hunting for it absolutely worth the effort i think pay off in spades yeah all that that's amazing and oh i think that's really good advice holly what about you tin how would what do you want people to remember from this conversation really about the combination of fraud and payments within e-commerce I think all what Holly said, but also embrace your passion. Definitely seek what you need within, either within the confines that you're in or outside. Keep learning and don't be afraid of educating. I think it's, it's important that we share what we can to help others and the industry just get better with stuff. We're keeping everyone honest with things. If I was to be more humble, it is be adaptable. We can't all get the dream team of Tim and Holly. And I'm sure there are many of those out there. But it's make the most of the situation that you're in. Use that as a way to drive your passion and keep finding ways to improve either yourself or, or those around you. Both of you had such good words of wisdom to close us out. And it's almost painful for me to end this conversation because I know that we could go for so much longer and just enjoy it so much. And I think that our my listeners would love it too. But that's why I'm excited that I'll get to at least talk with both of you individually because of time zones and travel schedules and everything else. It's already taken several weeks to just get this one time together. But you both are just so great at what you do and it works working together. And from my outside perspective, I really know, I firmly believe that your employer is exceptionally lucky. They did a great job hiring both of you. And I really look forward to learning more from you both on Fraudology, as well as at conferences and events and late night phone calls. Awesome. Thank you. It's great being here. 
thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.